1: Welcome to the one year celebration of the Fairy Tellers podcast. Da, 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 that was perfect fairy tale fanfare. <laughs> I,
0: I'm, it's actually from something, I'm sure, but I don't know what. I'm excited that it's been one year. It's pretty crazy. Dude,
1: I feel like it's super crazy, especially because, like, when we started, I very much was like, well, this is an adventure. We'll see what happens and like where this goes. Yeah. And I remember like making this schedule for like six months out. And I was like, well, this is real positive thinking <laughs> on my end. Yeah. And now the schedule, it's just getting like longer, longer and, and longer. And longer. And more like unruly. <laughs> yeah,
0: It's great. And I remember thinking too, "Is was like, oh, we're going to get like, 50 people listening to this thing and I'll be super excited to get 50 people. Yeah. It's like now we have people in like over 90 different countries, 49 of the 50 United States. So if you have a friend in Vermont who wants to listen to the podcast, you might want to recommend it to him. It's just insane.
1: It is. And speaking of recommending the podcast, just a huge thank you to every person who listens And every person who shares the podcast with their friends, it is the best way for the podcast to grow. And if the podcast is growing, then it can keep going. And so if you're loving the podcast, share us with your friends. That'd be awesome. And also one of my favorite things this past year is when people message me and they are saying like, oh, I just told my husband, or I told my sister, or I told my friends the story that you told on the podcast. What warms my heart about that is that orally sharing these stories is putting them back into that kind of original realm of like, folk storytelling (laughs) and so when we share a story with people we're putting that out there in that oral tradition but when somebody hears our story and then they take it and they go and tell their friends yeah they're like lengthening that like chain of oral storytelling which is like fascinating and yeah it it's an art and storytelling is incredible.
0: Yeah, that is super cool. One other thing that's been really great is just seeing how the podcast has been shaped by our listeners a lot more than I thought it would be. As far as kind of what you said, people responding back and telling us the types of stories that they responded to, but also then telling us like, oh, have you heard about this thing? Like the example of like textile magic, Seder magic. That being a thing, it's like we went off and explored something that we would never heard of before, all because a listener wrote in and told us about it. Or you know, people people talking about how they liked like Aesop fables or geomythology or whatever it may be, like helped us figure out what stories we should be covering next and what types of ways to take the podcast. So the podcast has really been shaped by the combination of this conversation of us and the things that we're naturally interested in and the things that people write in to tell us are things that they are interested in as well. So it's like really been more of like this communal experience than I ever expected it to be, which makes sense because I mean, that's what podcast is like we're having conversations with people and it seems weird to say that when It's just us with this microphone. But really, there is that feedback that comes back from our listeners, which is just amazing. So that's been great. And also the Nepal Youth Foundation thing was awesome and unexpected.
1: Yeah, because I'm like, it's also been interesting how the podcast has been shaped by the year that this was. By like us responding. I mean, our Mulan episode that we had put out that was supposed to come out the same time as the movie. Yeah. But now the movie isn't coming out until September 4th and it's not going to theaters, at least not in the U S. And so that shaped part of the year. And then just how the Nepal youth foundation was part of our year because of coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. Because they needed more funds to help with them trying to deal in Nepal with what was happening with closing the borders and uh, border conflicts. and Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's been interesting that like there's some things <laughs> that we definitely didn't plan on getting sidetracked with. Yeah. And then we were like, oh, let's do something like in response to this. <laughs>
0: What a chaotic year to allow to shape the whole direction and future of our podcast. But it's worked out so well so far.
1: Oh man, it's- or even like Splash Mountain, when I was like, oh, let's let's do this episode talking about how Splash Mountain is related to this like folklore tradition in the United States. And then like a week later, Disney announced that they were gonna be redoing yeah. it. All because it's- of our <laughs>
0: All because of our <laughs> podcast. No other reason. Just us.
1: <laughs> Just us. We did it. Um. Yeah, it's
0: been really crazy. And even, you know, to maybe getting into things a little too soon, but it's like we're going to be talking about some more Cinderella stories today based on the fact that one, it was our first real episode of the podcast was about Cinderella. So it's kind of nice to go back. And there's plenty to go back to. But also that's been one of the most Downloaded and listened to episodes of the podcast, so people obviously love Cinderella as much as we love to talk about it. So thank you.
1: <laughs> and yeah, when we we picked that to be our first episode because I kind of wanted to zero in on this um, this concept of the original version yeah. and how when it comes to folk tales and oral folk tradition. The first story to get written down isn't even the original version. yeah. And so I had picked that to kind of, you know, prove that that point. What we might think of as like an original version, we're only looking at like one country's first written down version of that story. We're not even looking at because it's impossible to look at and listen to the version's that were all existing at the same time from different mouths of yeah. whatever, whoever the storyteller was. But one of the things that I said in that first episode was that the Cinderella tale type is one that can be found all over the world, and that's why it's thought to be one of the oldest. And then it was funny because my sister pointed out to me that I, I said that, and then we only told... European versions. <laughs> she was like, You said you can find this all over the world, and then you you know didn't explore that avenue.
0: Then we went to two countries that like literally border each other inside <laughs> of Europe.
1: We're like, oh yeah, Giambettiste Bécile, like, let's tell his version where Cinderella murders her first stepmother, and then we do like uh Germany with the Grimm brothers.
0: Which I know Italy and Germany don't share a border, but we did bring up the French version, which is also right there, you know, and you've just got, you know, Switzerland and Austria separating Germany from Italy. So it's like we stayed within a few hundred square miles of Europe rather than going to all the places that we could have gone.
1: Yeah, because it's not like we didn't even cover like. Russian Cinderella tale types or Norwegian Cinderella tale types. It really was just that one small area of Europe. And I'm like, the story can be found all over the world. And then I'm like...
0: (laughs) But later on we did, we talked about the story of Sunni Maya in Nepal related to our our work that we did with the Nepal Youth Foundation, which was really fascinating.
1: We did. And what's cool about the Sunni Maya story is that it's considered like a Cinderella tale type, but it doesn't contain the element of the shoe and a lot of people think that the main kind of element of the tale is that mm. shoe coming forward like at the end and people who do think that the shoe is the most important detail of the story they will sometimes think if you take the shoe element and you kind of say oh this is probably the most central point of the story People will point to an early Greek tale from around 30 BCE and say, oh, like, this tale type is from Greece. I'm going to tell you the story really quickly. Just, well, the story is very short, so I'm not even telling you it quickly. I'm going to be telling you it regular length. (laughs) And then we'll talk about what it lacks to be a real uh, Cinderella tale type. Okay. So there was once a woman who was bathing classic women are constantly <laughs> bathing. So, and a bird flew down. Some people say it was an Eagle, whatever bird was relevant to the area. <laughs> a bird flew down and it stole one of her sparkling sandals because I guess birds like shiny things. That makes sense to me. Then a bird probably would-
0: was a raven or something. Yeah. They were attracted to shiny thing. Yeah.
1: They'd be like, Oh, that's nice. I, Probably want that. So it grabs the sandal and the bird ends up flying over the king of Egypt, who is sitting down outside, doing some kind of outside court, holding holding court.
0: Being fanned by palm fronds and fed grapes by hand.
1: Exactly. And the bird flies over with the sandal and the sandal drops down into his lap. And he looks at the sandal and he's like, this is a beautiful shoe. (laughs) Whoever's the owner of this sandal must also be as beautiful, (laughs) which that's horrible logic. That's
0: very, very bad logic. Really
1: bad logic. But he finds the owner of the shoe and he's like, Oh, she is as beautiful as her shoe had me believe. And they get married. The end. Yeah. So, obviously, the shoe is the main element in that story that brings these two people
0: together. The only element. I guess the (laughs) shoe and the bird.
1: It's the only element. So, in 1911, Andrew Lang, who we haven't talked, I don't think at all, on the podcast.
0: Doesn't sound familiar.
1: So, Andrew Lang was a Scottish folklorist and he made these uh fairy book series that mm. were like different colors and so every now and then if you're looking at a different collection you'll look in the references and it you'll see like a reference to like the blue fairy book
2: yeah or I the brown have heard of
1: those. yeah you'll the blue fairy book, the brown fairy book, the red fairy book um and they all have just different collections of like fairy stories so, yep, he was a folklorist. And in 1911, he said, one thing is plain. A naked and a shoeless race could not have invented Cinderella. And he was saying this in reference to an African Cinderella tail type was found. And people were saying, did they get this story from Europe? Did they come up with like this tail type spontaneously? <laughs> and he racistly... <laughs> was like, they couldn't have invented this tail type because they are a naked and a shoeless race, which there's a lot that is (laughs) wrong and problematic and logically bad in that sentence.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: There's a lot of assumptions about the superiority of people with European dress standards, regardless of the whole conversation of like, where clothes were invented, what clothes were invented, where and what place. Cause it's like, there's a lot to get into if we wanted to like get into it there. And it also, the shoe is not the main element of the story. The shoe is a vehicle inside of the story to connect the like dressed up version of the woman back to the prince. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah.
1: That, And, but in different versions of the story, if that element is included, it can be a bracelet or a necklace, a headpiece, a, like, it, the shoe is.
0: It's the gold suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Like, it doesn't matter what's in there. What matters is they're trying to go there and get the gold suitcase.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh, what is that called? Because it's not called the gold suitcase, even though I know. MacGuffin? (laughs) Yes. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. A device that drives the plot that has no real relevance. I mean, I guess it kind of does have no, maybe a shoe is the MacGuffin. Oh man. That's a whole other conversation to get well, into. Cause the
0: point is the shoe doesn't. Yeah. Cause it kind of has more relevance than like a typical MacGuffin. Yeah. In lots of ways, but, it, but in the sense that it could be anything, it doesn't have to be a shoe. It could be an earring. It could be a bracelet. It could be whatever. Yeah, But it happens to be a shoe in the story, so it has relevance because of what it is, but it doesn't matter. If it had been anything else, it could be anything else. Exactly. Like, which I think still makes it qualify as a MacGuffin.
1: Yeah, because it's like, like if she drops a bracelet, which in some versions she does, a bracelet comes off. They find the bracelet, and so the shoe is only necessary for that one kind of plot point.
0: Right, as a purpose of identifying our heroine. Exactly. It could very well have been her student ID card. <laughs> Except
1: that exactly. would have made things a little
0: too easy, maybe.
1: They're like, oh, I found her driver's license. Now I can.
0: <laughs> now, and it's got her address right there. Let's just go.
1: Oh, and she's an organ donor. Perfect. <laughs> Wait, what kind of Cinderella story
0: is this? I don't know. It's
1: like, I found my kidney donor. So the big question is, what does make a Cinderella tail type? Yeah, if it's not the shoe. Yeah. So in the ATU index, it is tail type 510A, the persecuted heroine. Mm. So who is persecuting her? A female family member. That's one of the that's one of the elements that's crucial to being a Cinderella tale type.
0: So you've got like stepmother, stepsister, exactly. sister, mother,
1: yeah. Mother, stepmother, cousin. sister, stepsister. I don't think and I found one that's like a cousin, but it wouldn't be. I thought
0: Sunny Maya Dude, was a cousin. Or was it a stepsister?
1: I thought it was a steps maybe she was left with her oh man, now I'm gonna have to go back and like look. But regardless. yes. Yeah, regardless. So it has to be a female family member that is persecuting her. And it can be a combination of lady family members because it can be like just a mother or a mother and her sisters or a stepmother and stepsisters, just stepsisters. Any combination you want, it's totally fine. There's also a tail type that's ATU um, 510B. And that one is persecuted from males usually the dad unfortunately it's usually and she's being persecuted in a sexual assault situation oh yeah and we haven't gotten into those ones yet but i've kind of teased them and like the last episode i talked a little bit about being wrapped in skin and this like yeah. magic skin thing um so donkey skin it's also called cat skin depending on what skin and there's other tail types Um, Like that, but yeah, that one is 510B, but Cinderella tail types are 510A, being persecuted by that female family member. She also will go from kind of being a part of the family to being treated like a servant or a slave in her own home, and then she goes on in her journey to become rich Usually, if not always, by marrying somebody very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And there's also supposed to be a magical helper or multiple helpers. Because tales in the ATU index from 500 to 518 are in a subsection under supernatural helpers. Uh, So it's critical that there's a supernatural helper in there interesting you had asked me earlier uh in like another episode how the atu index was like divided up if if things were uh like with like and yeah it's very much divided up into like chunks of i think it's like chunks of 100 or 200 based on some overarching theme yeah and then inside of those, it kind of gets smaller and smaller and more specific to kind of like divide them up. So, yeah. And that 500 to 518, there's a, those are a subsection of supernatural helpers. And so there has to be a supernatural helper in all of those tales.
0: Yeah. So by that definition, too, that Greek one that you shared could be a supernatural helper because it was this bird. The bird wasn't necessarily supernatural. Carrying the shoe, but there wasn't any sort of persecution to the heroine. She was just like bathing and uh, the persecution happened when the bird stole her shoe. That's the only thing that really (laughs) happened.
1: Yeah. So in that story.
0: And she ends up rich, presumably by marrying the Egyptian king.
1: It gets confusing because that story was taken, I think, sometime in like the 20th century by an author in America that short story that I told you it was taken and then turned into a very clear Cinderella story. And it was labeled and sold as the Egyptian Cinderella story. Uh. And inside of that, she ref the author referenced, Oh, this tale goes back to this story that was told in ancient Greece. And so people were like, Oh, Cinderella is this, Ancient
0: Egyptian
1: <laughs> yeah. Greek Cinderella story. And so it got like really, <laughs> really muddled, muddled. And yeah, it would be like going back and
0: be like, "I read this ancient Chinese folk tale about this magical dragon that helps oh the heroine who joins the army, and this magical dragon is hilarious, named Mushu, uh, voiced by Eddie Murphy. But, <laughs> but that dates back to many many hundreds of years BC. Yeah, yeah exactly. For, like and so just like extrapolating things backwards that weren't actually part of that original tale.
1: Exactly. And that's why that's why I usually when I'm doing my research if I find a story I try to trace it back to what what its earliest version was that we yeah. have like written down or that is written down in English that I can access and then I try to be very clear with our listeners, where I got the story, and how old that story is, yeah, because I don't want to confuse them into thinking like, "Oh, this is a story that right. was told in ancient times, it's like, no, about fifty years ago, somebody yeah,
0: <laughs> and p- some of the fun of the podcast is just that, and like, again, referencing that Mulan episode that we did. It was really fun going back because that is a story that has has a very, very long history and goes back a long time. And there's evidence of going back even further than we were able to find and just seeing how it changed throughout the years to get to where it is now. like That is a fascinating journey, but it is important to be clear about where certain elements were inserted and trying to guess why is also part of the fun, too.
1: Yeah, and we're actually going to get into that more with the stories that we've picked out today. So we've decided to travel to Asia for our Cinderella tail types or our persecuted heroine tail types because one of the earliest recorded versions of this tail type that includes the elements that we just listed is from China. So Jeff is going to be retelling this story from China.
0: All right, so this story is called Ye Xian. So it starts a long, long time ago.
1: In a galaxy far away.
0: Nabu was under attack. No, it wasn't. But there was a cave chief named Wu who lived in the south coast of China. And he married two wives. But unfortunately for him, one of them died very soon after giving birth to a baby girl named Yishan. And after growing into a young lady, the girl was... Guess what? Extremely beautiful. Didn't see that one coming, did (laughs) you?
1: She was like, she was super ugly, but that's what princes were into back then.
0: (laughs) And not only was she extremely beautiful, but she also had a really good gift for like embroidery and spinning, tying it into textiles, which I thought was super interesting.
1: (laughs) And another one that I read, and not to discount the weaving, Another one that I read, it said pottery and poetry, which I'm like. Oh, cool. I'm like, that's nice because alliteration is fun.
0: Alliteration. And we're getting a little more variety in the types of crafts that our heroines can do. They're not all about the sewing.
1: And it's like, oh, sewing and weaving, whatever. (laughs) Like, no, pottery and poetry.
0: So I'm going to go with that because it never comes up again in the story. She was good at pottery and poetry. And Chief Wu as all proud parents are, was just like obsessed with his daughter. He thought she was the greatest thing ever, but sadly he too died, leaving Yishian to be raised by her stepmother, the other wife that he left behind. And this woman in true stepmother fashion did not like Yishian at all because she knew that Yishian was much prettier, much smarter and much harder working than her own apparently ugly dumb and lazy daughter <laughs> <laughs> and so she treated Yishan really really poorly why I don't know why couldn't she just be proud of her stepdaughter and treat her with the respect that she deserves
1: just love people for who they are meet them yeah, where they're at
0: exactly like just because she's smarter than your daughter it's not her fault yeah. you can love them both anyway so, in addition to just giving Yishian all the worst jobs, like collecting firewood and drawing water and all the things that people didn't want to do around the house, she, the stepmother and her daughter, just mercilessly mocked Yishian all the time. They were just like constantly ragging on her. I can't imagine what some of those insults might have been, but I would love to hear them, see if they've got any better game than the stepsisters from, you know, like any <laughs> of the other versions who called like Cinderella, like a silly goose and and stuff like that. Bird.
1: <laughs> bird. <Anyway>. <laughs> bird.
0: Bird, bird. <laughs> but even though her stepmother and stepsister were absolutely horrible to her, Yishian always just worked quietly and without any complaint. She just did what she was told to the best of her ability. One day while she was out doing these chores, drawing water, she found a lovely little fish swimming in the pond that she was drawing water from. And so she saw him there with his like big golden eyes and his red fins. And she loved it so much that she decided to go home, get a big bowl, put him in some water in the bowl and bring her bring it back so she could have him as like a little pet. And even though she didn't have very much food for herself, because, again, her stepmother was mistreating and malnourishing her, apparently, what little food she had, she would share with this little fishy friend of hers. And so because of this, under her care, this fish started growing and growing and growing. And soon it became too big to fit inside of the bowl that she'd been keeping him in. So she didn't have a bigger bowl. She couldn't just go out and get a bigger fish tank. I'm sure her stepmother and stepsister would not allow it. Even if she had tried, she decided she had to take this fish back and put him back into the wild. So she took the bowl, dumped him back into the pond where she had found him. But every day when she would go to draw the water, she would approach the pond and visit her little fishy friend. And he would come out of the water, come up to the bank and greet her. and Pretty soon, this became kind of the only pleasant companion that Yishian had that she could spend any time with. Because again, at home, she was just being mercilessly mocked and ragged on by her stepmother and stepsister. Before long, this stepmother heard about the fish and was so mad that Yishian had found a way to find happiness in this life that the stepmother had been working so hard to make absolutely miserable that she planned to kill this fish. No. So one day she followed Yishian to the pond and saw the fish from a distance. But as soon as the stepmother came close enough to the fish that the fish could see her, it would duck back under the water and swim away because it wasn't friends with the stepmom. It was only friends with Yishian. So the next day to carry out her evil, evil plot, the stepmother made Yixian go and collect water from a different place. And the, the stepmother took some of Yixian's clothes and dressed up like her and took a knife and went to the bank of the river. And once she got to the bank, she called out in her best imitation of Yixian's voice for the fish. And the fish, not knowing that this wasn't his friend, came right up to the bank of the water to greet his friend, where it was mercilessly killed and murdered by this evil, evil woman. So she killed it right there on the bank of the water gutted him de-scaled him and cooked him up ate him presumably It'd Be such a waste not to but yeah it does sound pretty good maybe squirt a little lemon on there sprinkle a salt <laughs> no but we're so sad because this very marketable sidekick has been murdered in cold blood and once the fish had been eaten the stepmother buried the bones with all the other garbage And once Yixian found out about this, she was super, super upset to find out that, obviously, I mean, her only friend had just been murdered by her family. So she couldn't do anything. She didn't know where the fish had gone. She just knew that it was dead. So she was crying there on the bank of the river, just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And so while she was there mourning her friend, this old man wearing just like dirty, dingy clothes and with long hair and a long beard that was just like flowing all the way down. Flew down from the sky
1: in some of the retellings, it's one of her like ancestors.
0: Oh, coming interesting to like
1: visit her, which I'm like, oh, okay. And then in others, they're like, oh no, it's a messenger from like the sky gods. Interesting,
0: yeah. So, yeah, but so yeah this guy,
1: supernatural help, yeah.
0: This guy just flies down from the sky and says, lands at her side and says, hey, don't cry, I know where the fish bones are buried, and if you go there. You can dig them up and then you can keep them secretly with you. And Whenever you're in need, you can pray to the bones and they'll give you anything that you want. But, and this is very important, so write this down, don't be greedy. Because if you're greedy, then you'll be punished by the sky god. And so the old man led Yishian to an abandoned cellar and disappeared. And there in this abandoned cellar, she found her friend's little bones. And so she took them away and hid them in a safe place, which that's like kind of a still really sad memento of your friend just to have their bones lying around. When you die, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep your bones in a safe place and pray to them whenever I'm in need.
1: Well, I mean, how different is that from like cremations? And keeping someone's ashes. Yeah, like cremated remains. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. Especially because the fish had presumably been cooked and eaten. So it's actually not that far off. But you're right. It's not that bad. But so still, okay I mean I it's I mean it's bones? sad. I I would I <laughs> would much prefer,
1: I would much prefer to have like my living fish friend than just yeah. have So yeah, it is still sad. Um But yes, you can keep some of my bones when I die if that is what you want.
0: <laughs> That's okay. I'll let them be. Interred. Where, yeah, interred. So she held on to these bones, hidden away, but remembering what the old man had said, she didn't really use them for anything because she again she was actually i mean she had a horrible life but she was not one to complain she definitely didn't want to be cursed by the sky god so she never really asked for anything until the cave festival rolled around which the cave festival was the place to be (laughs) it was the party of the year the cave festival was where All the young people got together to find husbands and wives. So this was a real big deal. This was like hookup city. (laughs) And every young woman was really keen to go in the festival in like the most beautiful dress that she could. And Yishian was no exception. She was a young woman. She wanted to go and party. She wanted to find a husband for herself. And she wanted to get decked out in the best dress that she could find. But she knew that her stepmother wouldn't allow it. Because she knew that the stepmother was afraid that if Yixian went, who was so much more beautiful and smarter and harder working than her own daughter, that all these suitors might want to go for Yixian and not her own daughter. And then that would mean that she would have to give away half of her property, the stepmother, would have to give half of her property away in order to provide a dowry for Yixian and not her own daughter. And she was having none of it. So she didn't get Yixian Which actually,
1: that... That is, like, the best justification that I've actually ever seen for, like, why the mother was so anti that other daughter getting married first. It was all because of, like, a dowry, which I was like, oh... That That actually actually makes makes so much sense because she's like, oh, I'll have less of a dowry to give for my daughter. And so then my daughter won't be able to get as good of a match. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I need as big of a
0: dowry as I can get for my ugly daughter to (laughs) convince someone to marry her. (laughs) So to me, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. The logistics of that actually make sense. It makes sense when
0: it's usually just because mean.
1: Yeah. Because like now today, when we live in like societies that, I mean our our western society we don't do dowries. Yeah. anymore. And so it always just felt like the justification was like like oh I don't want her to get married because then my daughter will feel sad or neglected, or I want the better match for my, and so it's more about jealousy than it is about like any kind of practicality of like the marriage arrangement situation. For
0: sure. And it comes across that way. And it's, it would be interesting to know too, if it was just like left out because people would know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because it was such a part of the culture. You didn't even need to say that. You just knew that that was kind of like, Oh, of course you wanted your own daughter to get married first. Because, because like whatever these dowry,
1: things. dowry. yeah it be so
0: obvious where it's not part of our culture so obvious it's not obvious to us
1: and it is crazy like those things that do when you're telling the story inside of your culture the things that are left unsaid because they're already understood yeah it only really becomes a problem when yeah another culture listens to the story and they're like wait that does, i don't understand <laughs> and the other yeah, person's like, like why not- don't you understand <laughs>
0: And nobody's like, I'm like, I'm never telling you a story thinking about what people in China 500 plus years from now are going to think about, you know?
1: Yeah, when they're studying the story. Yeah, yeah. it's like,
0: no, I'm just telling a story. So, okay, the stepmother's got a point. She's still horrible. So the stepmother (laughs) and her daughter leave for the festival, leaving Yishian at home because she's not going to go and embarrass herself with, like, her rags that she wears to go and fetch water and carry firewood. But once the stepmother and stepsister are gone, she goes to her little friend's fish and she prays to the bones and asks for some clothes that she can wear to the festival. So, boom, like that, suddenly she's wearing this sumptuous, is the word that they use, Mm -hmm. sumptuous gown of kingfisher feathers, which I'm like, oh, man, that would actually be. That would be really beautiful. sweet. But I'm also kind of like, wait, kingfishers, like, hunt fish. Why would the fish grant feathers of this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this bird that like is hunting it down. Anyway, and on her feet were a pair of shining golden shoes, mm-hmm. which were magically lighter than a feather and didn't make any noise. Well, they like, you know, went along the stone floor, which is like, oh, man, that gives like a plus 25 to stealth. Those are pretty sick.
2: Plus 25 stealth.
0: <laughs> pretty sick magic items. <laughs> So when, your, like, <laughs> like so, when Yishan
1: arrived D&D brain.
0: So, when Yisha arrived at the festival, everyone looked at her cuz they're like, "Oh my gosh, she is wearing the coolest outfit." And all the young men were attracted by her charm and her beauty, and they started circling around her and everyone, they were dancing and singing and all of the young women were also shocked by her beauty, and they were like super envious and complaining to one another that like, "Oh my gosh, this stranger this girl that we don't even know, does she even go here?
1: Does she even live here?
0: <laughs> started, <laughs> like, stole their thunder. Like, n- none of the young men wanted anything to do with them anymore. They were all about Yishan. And Yishian's stepsister was one of these women. And so she was staring at Yishan angrily and then turned to her mother. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you know what? That looks just like my sister. And the mother, stepmother, was like, oh, my gosh, I think you're right. So they started moving towards Yishian to get a better look. But at the same time, Yishion was like kind of scanning the crowd and saw them coming towards her and recognized them too. And she's like, oh crap, I got to get out of here. So she ran away as fast as she could, leaving behind one of the golden shoes. And then as soon as she got home, she quickly changed out of her clothes into her rags and pretended to be sleeping under a tree in the yard. So that when her stepsister and mother came back, they found nothing unusual. They saw Yishion there sleeping under a tree Apparently, she hadn't been at this festival. but Not, Yish- not
1: looking like
2: that.
0: <laughs> but Yishan's lost shoe was found by a merchant a few months later, who decided, you know what? I think I'm going to sell this to the king, because what does every king need besides a non-matching set of <laughs> shoes? <laughs> Women's <laughs> shoes. <laughs> like, just a single woman's shoe. Without its match.
1: That's a very specific kink.
0: Yeah, but it is made of gold or at least golden in color. But the king got it and he was the king of like this strong kingdom with tens of islands, it says, covering thousands of miles. And he was so fascinated by this like delicate lady's shoe that he started to find himself like yearning for its owner. Which again was weird, kind of like our Egyptian king thinking, "Yeah, who was like, oh, if this shoe is this beautiful, imagine the foot that goes in it and the woman attached to that foot."
1: Yeah, and it's like that's not how shoes work.
0: (laughs) No, not at all.
1: Beautiful shoes can go on ugly women. (laughs) Yeah, they can go on ugly men too. Like they can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This could have been a major catfishing situation of, (laughs) of ancient China.
1: I love how you said catfishing.
0: Yeah, because of the fish bones. Yeah, It is like a surprisingly apt joke. I hope everyone is still laughing, (laughs) even though I'm explaining it. So because he was so hot for this woman that he imagined would go into this shoe, he ordered his ministers and whoever to start traveling around the kingdom and bring him any lady that could fit in the shoe. But none of them could because this was a magic shoe. And it would just change its size. So no matter how tiny the girl's foot was, this shoe would always be an inch shorter than the foot, which I thought it was pretty interesting that it was like, no matter how small, like uh, pointing out the fact it's like, oh, like small feet probably being a desirable thing because because Cinderella or sorry, Yishan was better so her foot was always smaller than whoever else it wasn't too big it was too small i thought that was interesting anyway what
1: what i also think is interesting about that is that like in the european versions to me i was always like what are the chances that of all the women in the area only one had a foot that size because <laughs> yeah. like i shop for shoes and there's always you know different sizes of shoes, but like I wear a size seven, lots of women wear a size yeah. seven in my area, but they also at the store have available like size, like five through 10 or five yeah, through yeah, yeah. 12 or whatever. And women come in in my area to also buy those. So I always thought it was interesting. Cause I was like, the shoe probably could have fit some of the people. That's not a yeah. very good test. But, so, I thought this but shoe was a interesting. a magical shoe. Yeah, I thought this yeah. shoe was interesting because it would actually shrink. It would protest by being yeah. like, like, no, not your foot. Your foot's gross.
0: <laughs> Only Yushion's sh- foot.
1: Yeah, I'm going to shrink to make it too small for you to get on.
0: So, because they couldn't find anyone whose foot could fit this magical shoe, they kept coming back and we're like, we literally can't find someone who this shoe will fit. And they were probably all. Gobsmacked because they might not have realized it was magical. Just like you, they were like, This doesn't make any sense. Surely it's got to fit somebody's (laughs) foot. So the king was like, Okay, bring that merchant back here. And they did. And he's like, Okay, where did you find the shoe? And he's like, Oh, well, I don't really know. It was like near some mountain on the mainland. So the king himself was like, All right, I'm going to that mountain. So he goes there. And to his great disappointment, it was in this like really remote area. A very poor area. And he couldn't believe looking around at this place that any of the people that lived here would have been the type of person to own a golden shoe. But still, he had his men search all the houses and all the neighboring villages. And finally, they found a shoe that matched along with this gown of kingfisher feathers that Yixian had worn to the festival. And it was tucked away in her bed drawer. And so they took Yixian to the king. And even though she was beautiful, seeing that she was dressed in rags, he couldn't really believe that she was the one that he'd spent all this time longing for and like fantasizing himself being with. So he asked her to go and get changed and try on the shoes and the Kingfisher feather gown. So she went back into her cottage, changed her clothes, and then she stepped out and it says she like walked out looking like a lady that was beautiful, like a fairy with this charming smile on her angelic face. And the splendid gown wrapping her appealing body. Mm-hmm. And the golden shoes were the perfect fitting for her feet. And so at that moment, the king realized that this was the lady for him. And so the stepmother and the stepsister begged her for forgiveness. Because she they realized they were going to be in huge trouble once she got married yeah. to his king. <laughs> have their heads chopped right off. And Yishian, being a good and kind person, forgave them for their cruelties. And the king took Yishian back to his kingdom where they were married and lived happily ever after. But there's also a coda to this story. (laughs) For those of you who are like, you know what, we need that retribution for the evil stepmother and stepsisters, like in the German version, where their eyes get pecked out. Another ending that there is to this story is that the stepmother and the stepsister were left there and they continued to live into the village until one day they were killed by a random shower of flying stones from nowhere. So they just get killed by this like meteor shower that comes out of the sky. I just imagine it was that old dude, like, yeah, this'll teach you for killing Yishan's fish. And there was a local person there who felt sorry for them and buried them in a stone pit and called the pit where they were buried the Tomb of Regretful Women so that people could use them as an example of how not to live your life. And then. Also, several years after returning to his kingdom, the king started to get greedy for treasure. And presumably, Yishan had brought her little fish bones with her and told the king about it because he prayed to the fish bones and he obtained a lot of gems because it was wanted treasure. But then the next year when he did it again, the bones seemed to have lost their magic power. And so he buried them with like some pearls and other stuff in a secret place and he marked it with this block of gold. And then several years later, when some soldiers were revolting against him, he wanted to dig out the pearls and do this stuff to try to reward his loyal army to fight these other people against him. But the night before he did that, the sea flooded over this hidden treasure spot. He was unable to get to them. The bones and the pearls were gone and he was unable to pay his soldiers. And what happened to him then? Probably not good things. The real end, which is really fascinating that that is even a thing that they went to because it has nothing to do with Yishan anymore.
1: Yeah, it's like and suddenly, yeah, there's this like weird morality tale about not being greedy with the bones and like a story that's like more about what kind of a king or what kind of a leader a person should be, which is really interesting
0: because it's like she ended up getting with this king, but he ended up not really being that great of a guy in the end, as far as like being greedy. It doesn't yeah. say he mistreated her or anything like that, but.
1: Yeah. And that is interesting to kind of be like, oh, well, she got to marry up, but was that really a reward? And so, yeah, it's this like weird kind of little thinker story at the end.
0: Yeah. Which I think it could do totally fine without it, but it is like fascinating I mean, that it is included.
1: Personally, like I, I I love that the extra ending includes like the tomb of the regretful women. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. There's some people who I think that'd be funny to put on their grave also.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I also thought it was interesting again, going back to our other episode and thinking about the things that were common, like the the shoe. And the fact that the shoe was gold, because I think in both of the versions that we retold in the other one, the shoes weren't like glass like it was in the French version, which we've mentioned. Yeah. But like in the Italian version and in the German version, they talked about how the shoes were like gold and silver. Like in the in the German version, they changed on the different nights that she went to the party because she went multiple times. Yeah. But the ones that she lost was a gold shoe. Like, or it had gold woven into it, which is, like, interesting that this also was a gold shoe or I had a, sh- a shoe with gold woven into it.
1: Me, I'm, like, I'm a total bird nerd. Yeah. And so, like, imagining the kingfishers, like, fishing birds, and they're, but they're, like, jewel tones. And so, and, like... Depending on what size, because kookaburras are the biggest. Kingfisher. I
0: didn't know that a kookaburra was a kingfisher.
1: A king, a kookaburra is a kingfisher. Learn
0: something new. It's the largest,
1: largest kingfisher. One of the smallest kingfishers is also in Australia. But yeah, there are these different vibrant colors of like. um, I always think of like yeah, like teal and green
0: and and, and yeah, it's like. and like warm colors too like a combination it's like usually like a kind of cool colored dominant well not usually what i picture in my mind like a, a a cool color that's dominant like a teal or a blue or a green and then like a really bright like red or orange like underside or something
1: yes and they they're also like tiny little feathers and so like i'm just imagining that like as like a cloak and a gown yeah. and i'm like oh that's so like that'd be so beautiful and it's interesting to me because the clothing is usually based on what people in that area thought of as opulence. Yeah. And so gold and silver tends to be a very like European show of yeah, like wealth. Mm-hmm. Even though rocks as a resource are uh, pretty useless yeah (laughs) like those ones in particular you can't build with gold but it's like it's gold except to look at it's i don't think it's very practical or useful it's too soft
0: not back in those days nowadays you can put it in computers and electronics and stuff
1: that's true
0: maybe they're just ahead of their time there
1: so yeah it it, like it's all dependent on uh like what the people found like value in
0: Well, I thought it was fascinating, too. Like, it was interesting, again, from just a comparative standpoint, that a bird got brought into it. Because in lots of the other versions, they have, like, birds that help them, like, cleaning up the mess or whatever. Like, they have that. This, she had her fish friend, which was interesting. But the fish wasn't even the supernatural helper. It was actually that scraggly old man that flew down from the sky that i would say was probably her most supernatural <laughs> helper and then the the fish because of the bones that were kind of magical which again yeah. in a comparative level comparing that to the german brothers Grimm version where of Aschenpoodle, poodle like she would pray to the tree and that would give her the gown yeah And it was like she prayed to the fish bones, which gave her the gown that she wore to the ball, which is like, that is super similar, obviously.
1: Also, in some of the translations of the story, they make a clear connection between that the fish was inhabited by the spirit of her mother.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so when you connect... The fish bones with, with, the like, with the tree and its connection to she, that girl's mother. Yeah, because she
0: planted the tree at the grave of her mother where she would go every day to pray. Yeah. And like she literally like watered that tree with her tears from praying and crying, which was also interesting because uh, Yixian w- cried at the side of the river over her dead fish which then she would pray over the bones of. It was just like, man, it's so crazy how similar they are.
1: There's also a version in the Middle East. I want to say it's Iraq, but it could also be Iran. It probably is an Iranian version, where the mother comes back in the form of a cow, but like the same thing happens where the cow is slaughtered by the mother, but she takes the bones and keeps them. And so... It's interesting because it, it's like, oh, it's a random animal helper, yeah. it sounds like. But then it also gets tied in with the mom.
0: Yeah. One of the big lingering questions that I have in this, too, is like, it talks about how her dad was like a chief of like, what do I, I want to look up what the wording is? Yeah. So it said that her father was a cave chief. And I'm like, what is a cave chief? And there's this cave festival. And when the king comes, he says, it's like this really poor rural area. Like, I want to know what kind of the culture was like around this.
1: Yeah. And so this story, I said it's old. Some believe that it's close to like 2000 or more years old. Wow. And so this is before China definitely was China as we knew it or like China with like the, the great wall or whatever. And so you did have these like smaller groups uh, in different terrain Uh because like the landscape of China is so diverse Yeah, because of, you know, it's vastness. Yeah. And so you did have, you know, people who were, you know, more indigenous to the area who lived in like, Caves or near caves, and you know formed their uh, kind of like group and community in those like areas and so it is interesting when it's like like they're a cave chief because yeah. <laughs> it, it it's like that's not how we like really like envision China when we think of China, yeah,
0: and then also even the king, it's like he was a king of these like island nations which was also uh, you don't think about so much with china you know it's like when you think of china it's like you think of like mainland china there's like a lot of land there but then to be islands it's like oh that's like out to the sea because this was like on the southern coast it's just really really interesting
1: yeah and it's funny that you say that because like when i think of china i actually do usually think of like hong kong and so i am thinking of like like, oh, like islands, islands they're like- by the sea, big port cities. Like, that's yeah. usually, like, what I'm thinking of when I think of China. And so when I do think of, like, mainland China, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a lot out there. Like <laughs> There's a
0: lot of China, mount- and it's very yeah, different. Mountains
1: and forests. And, yeah, because it's like, you know, part of China's like, bordering, uh, like, the Himalayan mountains. And yeah. you have, like, mountains that are full of the, like, bamboo forests that are like you know where all the panda bears are and (laughs) you also have yeah like coastline
0: it is very diverse and there's like deserts you know in in china too so it was interesting to for me to see something that's like made me think about china and like this is not the china that i'm imagining from you know just like my other weird ideas about what china is in my brain
1: And it's interesting, too. I mean, I was recently reading a book that had nothing at all to do with this. That was just talking about how usually, like, in Western schooling, we learn a whole lot about, um, like, the ancient cultures of, like, Egypt and Greece and Rome. And so we read a lot about that, but we're not necessarily reading a lot about, like, Mesoamerica or, like, like, Peru. Yeah. You know, like, there are lots of ancient cultures that did a lot of even, like, large monument building where we can go and see, like, those things that they, like, made. But we don't necessarily learn a whole lot about those ancient cultures that existed. Mm -hmm. And so, like, this story that they think was, you know, written down sometime in, like either between 200 BC or 200 AD, that was like the same time that, you know, you had like, I think it was like Babylon, Assyria, like all of that, Mm -hmm. like going on. But I know absolutely nothing about what China was like back then. Cause that's just not like in, in Western culture, that's not really information that they think people will need in their everyday yeah. lives. And so they're like, ah, we'll skip it. Cause I mean, world history is very long.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot to and it and all over places. the place.
1: Cause I remember yeah. learning
0: a lot about like, I mean, it was definitely very Eurocentric and like, we learned a lot about central South and North America. I would say the biggest gaps that I had, like we did learn about ancient China, but it's like, again, you know, very limited And the history of China is so long. There's so much there that you, it's really hard to get into depth, you know, in your kind of like primary education, but it's like Africa and the East, like especially the Far East, but also like, well, I say especially the Far East, we didn't talk anything about Southern Asia, like, you know, Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, you know, like Like, nothing about that. Southeast Asian history. Yeah, yeah. Southeast Asian and and African are probably some of the most like biggest gaps in my knowledge.
1: So now we're going to go to Southeast Asia, the Philippines. So, this story that I'm about to tell, it is considered a Tagalog tale. Um, it was written down in 1920. So not as old as we usually go.
0: But still 100 years ago.
1: Oh, man. I, man, that's true. <laughs> that is a, I was like, it's only like 50 years old. Like, Katrina, it is not 1970.
2: <laughs> I'm
1: like, oh, man. So when I was reading this story, it was funny because the things that were frustrating me about it, I realized were the things that actually are going to make it really interesting for us to discuss. I'm
0: excited to get into it.
1: Yeah. So it's called Maria and the Golden Slipper, which (laughs) really quickly, Maria is actually a very common uh, name in the Philippines since about 1560s ish, <laughs> which we will get into. So there once lived a couple who had only one daughter named Maria. But when Maria was very young, her mother died. Oh. I think we were, we were all expecting that. <laughs> I told you it was a Cinderella tale. It still hits hard. Yep, it's like, surprise, her mom dies. So, a few years later, Maria's father gets remarried and to a woman who has two other daughters. So, obviously, the stepmother and the stepdaughters didn't like Maria that much, and tragically when she was a young when Maria was a young woman, her father died. So, she continued to live with her stepmother and stepsisters, but She became a servant. So she had to do all the work, cook the food, wash the clothes, clean the floors. And the only clothes she had to wear were dirty rags. So one day the prince wanted to get married. As all princes do. Oh man, I suddenly wanted to read like the first line of like the Pride and Prejudice. I'm going to do it except I'm going to substitute. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. I didn't have to replace any part of that, actually. No, it just
0: worked perfectly. No.
1: Yeah. No wonder my brain was like, why are you thinking about Pride and Prejudice? Because. So, yes, the prince wanted to get married.
0: Let me guess. He's going to throw an extravagant ball.
1: <laughs> You're a genius, Jeffrey. <laughs> so He was going to throw an extravagant ball (laughs) (laughs) and he invited all the ladies in the kingdom to come to it because nobody likes a sausage party so he declared that the most beautiful one of all would be his wife so like absolutely no pretense there (laughs) about what his plan was he's like nope hottest one wins that's the (laughs) only quality I'm looking for this
0: is the bachelor season one real season one (laughs)
1: Uh, so when the two stepsisters heard that everyone was invited, they started to discuss all the clothes that they could possibly wear to the ball. What was the like best thing that they had? What made them look their absolute best so that they could be labeled the most beautiful and get married? Poor Maria went down to the river to wash the clothes, and she was very sad and crying because she knew that she had absolutely no clothes that would be appropriate to wear to a special occasion like this. So while she was washing the clothes and crying, a little crab approached her and it said, why are you crying, Maria? Tell me the reason, for I am your mother. (laughs) And Maria, who was like, that's normal, said to the crab... My stepmother and sisters treat me as a servant. There's going to be a ball tonight, and I don't have any clothes to wear. So while she was talking to the crab, like a normal person, (laughs) her stepmother came up, and she was angry with Maria for talking to a crab, I guess. Maybe being too slow washing the clothes? I don't know. The lady had a bee in
0: her bonnet for some reason.
1: (laughs) So she ordered Maria to catch the crab and cook it for their dinner.
0: Oh, man.
1: I know. So sad. So Maria seized the crab and carried it to the house, as she was told. But when she got to the house, she refused to cook the crab, you know, because on account of it being her mother. Yeah. So her stepmother took a whip and beat her until she was forced to, like, Cook this crab. Oh my gosh. Which that's some psychological yeah, trauma this for the on a whole
0: nother level, like making the daughter cook the crab.
1: Yeah, like do it yourself, lady. I mean, in the stepmother's defense, she probably didn't know the crab was
2: the, <laughs> the girl's, girl's mom.
1: Maria's like reincarnated mother. Yeah. So she forced her to cook the crab, but before she started cooking the crab, the crab said to her, Maria, don't eat my flesh but collect all my shell after I'm eaten and then bury those pieces in the garden near the house and they will grow into a tree and you can have what you want. If you will only ask the tree for it. So probably with much emotional distress, Maria put her mother crab into the pot and started cooking it. And that night she watched her mother, her stepmother and stepsisters Eat the crab. And when they were done and she was cleaning up the table, she gathered up all the shells and she buried it in the garden. And then at twilight, she saw a tree starting to grow oh, wow. out of the ground where she had buried the shells. So the night of the ball, she went out to the tree, which I guess nobody was like, Where did this sudden tree come from? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Things grow really fast in the jungle, so it's fine. And the Philippines are very fertile islands. Yeah. So the night before the ball, when her stepmother and stepsisters were asleep, Maria went out to the tree and she asked the tree for a beautiful gown and to furnish her with a coach with fine horses and a pair of golden slippers. Here is where the story started to rub me the wrong way. And I'll see if it rubs you the wrong way too. So the tree said to her, I will give you all of these things, but you must be back in the house by 12 o'clock midnight. If you're not, the clothes will change into rags and your coach will disappear. So the next night when it was the ball and her sisters left, she went out to the tree and there at the tree was a beautiful gown and golden shoes, and a coach with horses. So she got into this horse-drawn carriage that took her to the ball. So when she arrived, all of the ladies were astonished at her extreme beauty and grace. And almost immediately, the prince saw her and started to dance with her, because obviously she was the winner. So when Maria saw that it was half past 11, she said goodbye to the prince and all the ladies present, and she went home. And when she reached the garden, the tree changed her beautiful clothes back into her old ones, and the coach disappeared, and she went to bed and went to sleep. And when her stepsisters came home, they told her of everything that had happened at the ball and told her that she had missed a great party and it sucks to be her and she's a loser. (laughs) because i'm like how rude is that to like go into the room and be like oh my gosh you missed the best party on account of we treat you like crap and (laughs) it's
0: very on brand though
1: yeah it is to be like oh we want to tell somebody how exciting our night was but we also like to rub things in your face so this works for both (laughs) of those things So the next night, the prince wanted to see this woman again, so he threw another ball, and the stepsisters dressed themselves in their best clothes and were gone, and Maria again went out to the tree and asked for the beautiful clothes, and this time her clothes were even more decadent, and the coach had even more horses, and again the tree warned her that she has to be home by 12 o'clock midnight. So the prince, when she arrived, was absolutely delighted to see her and danced with her for the whole second evening. And Maria was just so enchanted by the wonderful evening and the good time that she was having that she didn't notice when the clock started to strike midnight. Uh Uh-oh. So she started running as fast as she could down the stairs and out the palace doors, but one of her shoes fell off and by the time she got a little bit of ways from the castle, it was midnight, the coach disappeared, and her clothes went back to rags, and she had to walk all the way back home, but the gold slipper, the one that she did have, stayed with her, and the one that she dropped was found by one of the guards, who gave it to the prince.
2: Hmm.
1: The guard said this fell off of the beautiful lady as she was running away, and the prince was like, obviously, we have to find who this shoe fits. Classic. (laughs) So the next morning, the prince ordered one of his guards to take the slipper around to all the houses to see who it fits. The first house visited was the one that Maria lived in, which I think that's interesting. Yeah. That it wasn't, they didn't go around to the whole town, they went directly to her house, which... The guard was like, thank goodness. This would have taken all day, maybe a full week. What a waste of my time. But he was lucky and he went to the first house on the first try. Brilliant. So he tried the shoe on the two stepsisters, but they didn't fit. And... Then the guard said, shall we try them on Maria? And her stepsisters were like, ew, 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 no. Her feet feet are filthy dirty. That is a beautiful golden shoe and you will get it so nasty. And her feet are much larger than ours. So there's absolutely no way it's going to fit her. You should just move on to another house. But the guard said, nope, let her try. I have to try. Even her foot is super nasty gross. (laughs) Which I'm like, hilarious. They're like, no, her foot is pretty dang dirty. Oh,
0: she had to walk all the way home from the party the <laughs> night before without a Yeah,
1: so they probably shoe, weren't though. wrong. <laughs> ah. So he gave it to Maria and when she put it on, it fit her foot exactly and she drew the other slipper from underneath her dress and she put it onto her other foot and her two sisters were astonished to see that she had both of the shoes and they almost fainted So Maria became the wife of the prince. And from that time on, her sisters and her stepmother treated her very dearly.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they did.
1: Yeah, like, of course they did.
0: Brown nosers.
1: So can you guess what frustrates me or what was frustrating me and really bothering me about the second half of that story?
0: My guess is that it's like just exactly the same as what we would think of as a Cinderella story in that second half. Like, it starts off different. There's, like, the crab. So maybe implied, like, hey, don't be a cannibal kind of aspect to it. <laughs> it's getting really interesting. Um, but then it's, like, then it's the tree. And from the tree on, it's, like, so much like the European versions of it.
1: Yeah, even, t- even to the point of, like, the, like, 12 o'clock <clears throat> midnight. Yeah. the co- The coach and horses, which, when I think of the Philippines even in like 1920s or like 1880s i'm not really thinking that like the people who lived there that that was really their classic mode of transportation or like anything it really does start to have all of these european elements in it and it's a pretty abrupt change from like the crab mother yeah <laughs> to like oh no now it's like totally this european tale so it was bugging me until I suddenly remembered my Southeast Asian history from <laughs> the class I had to take because I lived in Southeast Asia. Our his- We had to take a history class. I think when most kids in America were learning like United States history, we were learning Southeast, Southeast Asian Asia. history. So most of the countries in Southeast Asia have a history of colonization from a European country. European countries basically came in and thought, oh, this is a nice area and like parceled out Southeast Asia for themselves to colonize. And one, if not the only country in Southeast Asia that didn't get Colonized was Thailand because the Kingdom of Siam was there, and they decided to just leave it as a buffer zone. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Spain took the Philippines to colonize in like 1560s, and they were there until like 1880. And I said this story was recorded in 1920, Mm -hmm. so they had only been without Spain for about 40 years. Yeah. And they still had like hundreds of years of that European influence mm-hmm. and so what was bugging me so much about the story of that it seemed to lose its Filipino cultural elements yeah to totally turn into like this European tale in the second half, and it's like, well, that's kind of reflective of what happened the history <laughs> of the Philippines yeah. <laughs> where you know they. Like had their own their own culture, and then it got really like forced mixed in with Europeans, which yeah. even goes back to the name Maria yeah a lot of Filipino people were raised Catholic mm-hmm. because that was the religion that came into the Philippines from Spain, yeah, and so a lot of Filipino people have very Catholic sounding names, <laughs> Maria, <Yeah. laughs> like for instance. And so it, it's, this story is like fascinating in that it really shows how stories can maybe go from that, um, you know, they're, they're, base culture and then when it gets mixed in with all this other stuff or even have a culture foist itself upon yeah it changes the stories that they have and even can make people look at a tale like this and go oh obviously this whole story is from europe And that the crab was probably added in later by Filipino people after they got the story from Europe. Yeah. And, I mean, that usually happens when there's that, like, European exceptionalism or, like, Western exceptionalism that goes in hand in hand with like imperialism, colonialism Mm -hmm. that they're like, no, obviously we gave this to these people. They didn't have this cultural heritage before we got here. Yeah. And it's like, no, you've kind of mutilated their culture and any stories that they had like by your actions. So yeah, that's what I found at first really rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, maybe I don't want to use this story because it's weird how it, feels so European in the second half. But it's like, yeah, probably the Philippines also felt weird in the second half (laughs) being taken over by
0: Europe. Yeah, it's like sad and strangely appropriate to the culture and the things that they experience in their history. The other thing that I thought was fascinating, again, I may be reading into this too much because it's the other story that we told in this episode, (laughs) <laughs> but the whole fact of there being this water creature it was a fish in the in the Chinese one, and there's like a crab in this one. I don't know I mean, it may just be the fact like obviously the Philippines are a bunch of islands, so they would be very much more in contact with like water creatures and sea creatures than other places around. but it was also just really interesting, like made me think of like I wonder if there is some sort of like common root or branching again and how this kind of happened in the west as well where all the european nations seem to have the same or similar stories but it kind of seems to go back to these common roots that somehow spread to them and i wonder if in asia it was a similar thing whether it started in china or wherever it started i don't know but if somehow that story element of the the specifically like water-based creature is a common element that spread throughout Asia or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's just like, it seems so specific to not be, it seems so specific to be a coincidence, almost too specific to be a coincidence.
2: Yeah.
1: So stories follow trade routes. And so any countries that are close to each other for trade and are having like a lot of that interaction, they run into each other a lot. So there are stories that are found in um, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Tibet, that all share more elements in common with the Chinese version that you told Mm -hmm. than with the uh, European versions that we told. There is even a Cinderella tale type that's inside of the Thousand and One Nights and that story is called the anklet and the reason why it's called the anklet is because the anklet is the the shoe of it all yeah
0: <laughs> interestingly it's still very close to the foot but
1: yes <laughs> um and so these tales they they travel along like trade routes and so like what you're pointing at like the second half of that story, like it has elements that are really close to like the Chinese version, and it's like, yes, absolutely, and there's kind of no way of knowing like where in that area those kind of started first because those people you know were getting on boats trading with each other or you know if they're if they're connected by land, you know traveling those routes, yeah, and you know the more those trade routes ran into each other the more the stories started to blend together or travel farther and farther away and so i mean at this point it is still unclear whether the story was in china first or whether it was in like the middle east first because people have been traveling routes for millennia yeah and so it is hard to say like who had it first and, but if like, you know, if the Chinese had it first and they spread it around all of like Asia, even like the Asian, like islands, like the Philippines, then those stories are going to be changing more along those lines in those countries than when the story goes from China to Europe and then they change in European ways. And so then when you kind of Combine them back together. They don't seem to fit. Yeah. Just like, I mean, I don't think, I, I felt like Maria and the golden slipper wasn't blended well at all. I, cause I felt like it was a very clear like line. Right. <laughs> of Like what was a European, what were European elements and what were like Asian elements. Yeah. And that, I feel like shows more of a kind of a a collision than a collaboration, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Agree.
1: What I find so incredible about like following these stories is that like you end up learning so much about like the history of different countries and like the history of like humankind and like how we've traveled, how we've interacted with each other, how we like these stories are almost they're they're artifacts they are, like, evidence of the ancestors. (laughs) Like, they're evidence of, like, where people went, how they traveled, how they interacted, like, with each other, how they felt about each other. Because it's, like, even in the stories, I mean, like, Hassan Basra, where they're just, like, like, those Persians (laughs) are, and it's, like, wow. Because, like, I wouldn't have known that, like, Muslim people back And that they apparently didn't like Persians. Like, I wouldn't, (laughs) I mean, it's kind of sad to be like, who knew that they were racist? (laughs) It's so beautiful (laughs) to find out that all through human history. No, but like, there's all these like little things that it's like, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that about people. And now you're finding these like little tidbits or even like, I mean, again, going back to Hassan Abbasra, hearing what they found sexually attractive Back then, that's even fascinating to me of like just these little, there's like all this like little evidence about people and how they thought and how they lived buried like inside of like the stories. And I just, I've found that so beautiful through the year being able to like just like find those like random little, like, little nuggets of information about how these people thought back then when they were like retelling these stories. So even though now sometimes it's like confusing when we read, something because we're like I feel like I'm missing something like there's like something lost in translation when you do figure out those little elements that are lost in translation it's so much more like oh I understand these people I understand where they're coming from even like what we've you know read about the like the dowry complication yeah it was like oh that makes me understand more where this like villain yeah really is coming from and I love it when I can understand what motivates a villain. Yeah. Even if I don't like agree with them, it's still kind of is like, Oh, I, I understand more about what the cultural complication is for that. I just love that.
0: Yeah. And those are even more exciting than the things that we see that are the connections. The things that are common is because it's a place where we can like, okay, okay it kind of piques your curiosity to go in and learn more. And it's where you're expanding your knowledge rather than just kind of confirming or reaffirming things that you already might've known. Yeah. I think this is a very appropriate thing to be doing on the, you know, basically the one year anniversary of starting our podcast. I love the symmetry of going back to Cinderella and then comparing, not just the two versions that we talked about today, but comparing this with the European ones that we read last year my experience in this episode is very reflective of the experience I've had over the past year and like the growth that I've undergone in the sense that I came into this. I was not like a super big fairy tale fan. I was coming onto this because this was your passion. And I was like, just happy to get on the mic and talk to you about it. But it's like, man, I've learned so much about fairy tales and folklore. And, you know, just even the process of like, how folklorists look at things and compare things and think about how these stories have traveled. Again, I'm still like in my infancy of this kind of journey, but it is really exciting to start to see these kind of connections going out through the whole world, which is what I love about this podcast. Again, in the sense that we're, I mentioned at the beginning, like, you know, we're all being listened to all over the country that we live in the United States, except for Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also being listened to all over the world. Like, in the same way that I'm feeling these connections to other places through the, the listeners that we have, I'm also feeling the greater connection that I have to the world through what you, we've talked about a lot like, this shared culture of storytelling. And not just the fact that we all tell stories, but even the fact that lots of the stories that we tell have so many elements in common. There's not any story that we've told. Retold, talked about that I haven't been able to connect to on some level because it shares something similar with a story that I've heard. So it's just really great that I came into this thinking, you know, I love to learn. It would be great to learn about other cultures and other places, but I didn't expect it to be so personal. I felt it would be more intellectual. It's great that the biggest place that I've grown is in that connection that I feel to, people all over the world and it's great and i just look forward to that growing more and you know listening and learning more about cinderella when we do another cinderella episode next year and we can see how much more i've grown
1: thank you for listening to the fairy tellers if you are enjoying what we're doing please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein.
0: The cave festival was the place to be. It was the party of the year. It was a place where all the yokel, yokels? <laughs> I'm trying to say local Yo- huh? young. And it became y- yokel. all yokels. <laughs> all the yokels. All the yokels got together all, for all a the hoedown.
1: Ch- all the Chinese <laughs> yokels. Those are words. Hey, I'm that from just- West Virginia.
0: I can say yokel.
1: I don't know if anybody's ever said that about,
2: like, (laughs) ancient Chinese people, but... (laughs)